Hi, and welcome to episode 106 of the Studio Insider Art Podcast. In today's episode, Steph and I are chatting through our processes with overcoming limiting beliefs we've held in the past and exploring opportunities that we once thought we'd left behind. For me, this has happened in my desire to exhibit, which I never thought I would want to do again. In this episode, I unpack some of my process of realizing that this was something that I really wanted to do and then going on a journey to heal old wounds and create permission for myself to do that. For Steph, it's happened in coming back around to realizing that she wanted to fully embrace a ceramics practice and healing old wounds around poverty that had previously made her feel like this was out of reach. This is a super juicy episode where we dive deep on personal histories and journeys toward a place where we are truly in love with and excited by our art practices. This episode is also coming out as I'm deep in the process of creating this new body of work for my upcoming first solo exhibition in November 22. As I'm using my own painting as a practice structure to support the emergence of this new work, I also wanted to share the magic that I've rolled into the three chapters of my painting as a practice e-courses by offering you some sweet discounts over the coming weeks. This past two weeks, I've offered chapter one at 20% off with the code PP1 at the checkout, and you can still grab it until the 18th of August. So be sure to pop on over and grab it before it goes away. This fortnight, from the 16th of August until the 1st of September, I'm offering 20% off Chapter 2 of Painting as a Practice, Colour Play and Mediums That Pop. So if you'd like to dive deep into colour and the layering of mixed media, then be sure to use the code PP2 at the checkout when you purchase. That's uppercase PP and the number 2. And as I mentioned last week, if you're keen to dive into the whole Juicy Trilogy, I'm offering 20% off the entire discounted bundle for the whole of August and September 2022 when you use the code TRILOGY at the checkout. That's uppercase TRILOGY. All the codes and links are in the show notes or you can pop on over to susannethercottestudio.com forward slash online dash classes. Okay, let's settle in for the episode. I'm Suze Nethercote and this is the Studio Insider Art Podcast, where I open up about what it's really like to be a professional artist. Whether I'm having chats with my studio bestie Steph, interviewing inspiring creatives or answering listener questions, there's something here for every established and emerging artist. My mission is that my journey will help you feel a bit more at home in your own. Hi, Steph. Hi, Suze. How are you doing? Well, what's going on? What's happening? How are you? I'm so enjoying sitting here drinking tea with you this morning out of my beautiful Steph Lewis original (laughs) mugs. (laughs) Stop, you're making me blush. They're so beautiful. I'll just describe it for people. They're like beautiful natural porcelain with this gorgeous... What have you done? It's the Mishima technique mm. where you've you've etched into the clay with the pigment or I don't know any of the ceramics, <laughs> so jump in any time. Terrible but job. Etched in this beautiful design of uh, blue- blackberries. Yeah. And they're just minimal and beautiful and oh, I love it. them and I drink from them every day. Well, I'm glad you like them. Thanks, Suze. 
That's so very sweet. How's things going? Let's have a bit of a studio catch up. What's I know for you at the moment because there's been oh, a lot of changes in your world man. these past few months. All the things, all the things, and I feel like since we last spoke, been pretty dramatic shifts. I mean, not actually dramatic action necessarily, but like dramatic shifts in the way I'm thinking about my practice or like how that's manifesting. Well, I feel like it's been dramatic, yes, but also we we've talked about this a lot over the past sort of six months, haven't we? Yeah, I guess. And I feel like in the wake of these realisations and changes that you've been having, it's actually that's actually really affected my thinking too. Like the conversations <gasps> we've been having have been great. Uh, you've done a couple of back, no, maybe just one backflip that I can't wait for you to share with your, like putting your work out into the world. Like, I know. Can we, can we <laughs> do that first? Can we do that first? Because oh, I sure. feel like this is major. Sure. So, yeah, like, you know, I've always been, well, since I had my first exhibition, which was just a shared one, which I should say was my only exhibition, which I did with my friend Ali Shirley. Well, she's our friend. It was such a traumatic experience for me that I was just like, I am not doing exhibitions as a business model and pursued the whole online thing and that has been successful for years and years. Uh, but, yeah, I've decided I'm doing exhibitions again. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. I will never do one of those. They just don't work for me. Well, yes, yes, that is true. They right. didn't work for me. But I feel like every decision that I ever made before my ADHD diagnosis is being reassessed because decisions like that were actually made, I guess, from a negative point of view of, well, I, I probably shouldn't do that thing because it, the big thing that happened was I just became a total insomniac and it was really bad and uh, and just had terrible anxiety. So both of those things are now pretty much corrected in my life. Yeah. And... Also, the part where it was really difficult for me to put something like an exhibition together and all of the admin side of it yep. is a different experience because I can have a working brain these days, thank yeah. you, medication. So uh, it's been a real journey in reassessing all of that right. uh, prejudice, I guess, that I had yeah. built up. Yeah. That was very defensive, I suppose. And it came from a place of really just trying to care for myself as best yes. as I could. But it was it was so good to talk to you about it because I remember some of the conversations we had, particularly one off-air one, where I was like I had such a violent reaction mm. to what you were saying and it really made me sit back and examine myself and go, that is, that is a defensive something you're trying to maintain and hold up in a way that's very aggressive and that speaks to me of a wound underneath that you really need to look at what's going on there. So self-aware, Suze, because often we do that and we vehemently believe that we're right in that oh, well, aggressive thank opinion. Thank thousands of dollars and years' worth of therapy and coaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. And probably like, you know, 47, you'd hope you'd figured out some things, right? So... <laughs> So, so thank then, you what, for the acknowledgement. What, so, what happened there? So, I we've talked. I think we've spoken about this briefly. You had that. You said I'm going to question some of those beliefs. So you sat in that, and what mm. happened? Well, I, you know, as everybody in the world knows, because of this podcast, I work with the wonderful Marie Morsi, who is my coach, and uh, she's incredible. So, you know, I, I brought that to that conversation, and so I can work around 
that. And I also have some meditation practices that I've been doing the past few months that uh, focus in around uh, healing old wounds and, and working energetically. And it's, so it's a very spiritual approach to working with the energy of that kind of woundedness and just bringing a lot of loving attention and, and the intention of healing old wounds mm-hmm. to that space. And so that's sort of been the piece that's been, I guess, the therapy aspect around looking at what's going on there for me and... I guess in that process was where I figured out what I just said to you, which was that a lot of the emotion, the very charged emotion that I'd had around that prejudice against exhibitions and and pretty much had built this whole narrative around the whole gallery model was very much coming out of a place of woundedness and fear, fear as well. I guess fear of like of opening myself up to criticism from people inside that world as well. Right, yes. So, and look, just on a very different level, aside from that wound, um, you know, like you said, it was your first exhibition and it was your only exhibition. And sometimes we do things once and that experience is not like other experiences. Mm. You know, like it it was incredibly disruptive to you. I'm not going to downplay that. But that doesn't mean it will always be that way either. Exactly. Exactly, and that's, I guess, the conclusion I've come to, which is, well, it can never be another way if I don't give myself an opportunity to pursue it in a different way. Okay. Yeah. So you've decided to hold an exhibition. Is that what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So, well, it sort of has, has it didn't really unfold as, well, I'm having an exhibition. It, yeah. It's been a very gradual mm. process and I, I kind of don't want to jump to the end too quickly because it you lose all of the steps along the way, which may be actually helpful to other people out there listening to this. So after kind of, you know, coming to terms with that emotional piece, then I have, I've started to kind of excavate the parts of me that actually really love that world, the gallery world, the art world, art history. Well, the art history piece has always been there and I've always read quite widely, but I've, you know, I've realized that I'd actually shut myself out of a world that I dearly love and have been educated within and... I feel now as an artist with sort of, you know, half a decade plus of practice behind me can actually become a part of that narrative if I choose to. And the choices I had made up until now in the way that I conduct my art business is that I was actively choosing not to. Yes. So that's that was a very big realisation for me. And, yeah, and then I guess the thing that really brought it up for me in terms of, well, is exhibiting something that I want to do was you know, we have this uh, this gallery space in Ballarat that's actually inside the art gallery of Ballarat, and it was it was a backspace exhibition that I shared with Ali Shirley years ago. But they they were advertising for spots. It's since moved inside the gallery, so it's sort of become a really ho- highly sought after space. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's super um, legit. Like, yeah, it is, you know. and it's really it's gone up a notch in terms of, and it's a great experience we know from people we know that have exhibited there to to show mm. in that space, and so they did a call out, and I remember that coming out, and I just I I felt that that immediate idea of ah oh, this is something I'd like to do, and then observed myself shutting myself down uh. to that desire, and it's interesting because you you applied for it as well. We both yeah. applied for it. Yeah, Neither yeah. of us know at the time of this recording yeah. if we've got an exhibition there. So it's interesting yeah. to talk about it in that space. 
But it, through the process of that that opportunity coming up actually made me realise, no, I'd actually really love to do that. But more than that, I had to kind of go, well, this is actually a great opportunity for me to push the boundaries of what I feel comfortable in terms of the RSD thing. So yeah. you'll remember the rejection-sensitive dysphoria thing piece that became came to light for me uh, with the ADHD diagnosis because that's really at the core of why I don't apply yeah. for opportunities. Yeah. Like yeah. I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to put myself out there and create as much safety around that process as I can so that whatever happens, it's going to be okay. So that's okay. Sort of, and I'm still in that because we don't know what's happening there. So you, are you building it like a sort of psychological safety net as you go through this or no, is it just like doing the work so that if things don't it's go? It's not building a psychological safety net. I feel like I'm building resilience because mm. every time I think about it, I'm, I'm very careful about the way I think about it and I'm kind of retraining my natural kind of visceral protective reaction to it instead of going, you know, coming up with a judgment, which was what I was doing around, oh, no, that's not something I could do because I'm too sensitive to rejection, I'll stop sleeping, I'll get anxiety, all of these reactions. It's just every time I think about it, reassuring myself, look, it's actually just an application for an exhibition. Yes. It's not the end of the world. And my yes. self can actually hear that now because, yes. you know, I, I have a stability in my mental health that is really good mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. And to just watch what the narrative in my head is doing and yeah. just be like, you know, if you don't get this, it's okay. It really is okay. And so as part of my process, I've actually been looking at other opportunities out there in the community to see, well, if this doesn't happen, what else could I do? Because I'm yes. really clear that even if I didn't make this particular work that I proposed for the, for the Backspace exhibition, I actually still want to do that. And that's really that's what's right. underneath my desire to exhibit. And this is the other half of it. I feel like I'm just doing a monologue right now. <laughs> You kind of are, but I am, I am like hanging on every word. So keep going. I realized when I, cause when we, when we did our proposals, right, you have to actually have an exhibition proposal. Like there has to be a deeper story there. And this was actually the bit that I felt really stimulated by the conversations I had with you about. Yes. Like yes. what I, what is your art about and what are you about and what is it expressing and what is it tapping into? And I loved like thinking about this and, the more I thought about it, the more I was dreaming up works that were really exciting oh. to me and not just individual paintings but a body of work that around a central concept. Yes. So, and I realised I, I really want to do the exhibition in that space but if it, even if it doesn't happen, I actually yes. just want to do this. This is actually creatively what I'm being called to do yes. and that was the piece. Hey guys, just dropping in to let you know that in celebration of being deep inside my own painting as a practice period, as I prep for my first solo exhibition, this fortnight from the 16th of August until the 1st of September, I'm offering 20% off chapter two of painting as a practice, color play and mediums that pop. So if you'd like to dive deep with me on how I create colorful paintings that vibrate with energy, be sure to use the code PP2 at the checkout. That's uppercase PP and the number two. 
And if you already know that this is a process that you'd like to dive deeply into for an extended period, for the entirety of August and September 2022, I'm also offering 20% off the entire trilogy of paintings of practice. For that option, simply use the coupon code TRILOGY, that's the word TRILOGY in all uppercase, at the checkout to get 20% off this already discounted bundle of three courses. So come join me. I so look forward to sharing with you all my best tips for building a beautiful painting practice. Yes, and I went through the exact same experience. Like it was a bit of a tough slog for me. I think like you're much more academically gifted than I am in that written space. And, it, it, you know, I haven't flexed those muscles for so long, but really digging into that, like really digging into that core of what, uh, you know, through this vocabulary, this visual vocabulary, what is it that I want to say? What is it that I'm trying to express to the world was so inspiring in a way that I hadn't anticipated at all Mm. and I feel exactly the same way like I am just drawn to create that now and if nobody ever sees it it doesn't matter but I'm just going to do it anyway and I will find a way for it to be in the world and I will find a way for it to exist together physically in a space as a group and for people to be able to see it like that it's really exciting and that excitement propelled me beyond fear of rejection, did me which too. I have too. I mean, yeah, that's a big yeah, thing for me. Yeah, we talk about it a bit for you too because yeah. you've been in the same process. So I have, I have. And how's it been for you? Well, reflecting back on some of our much earlier conversations where I I think we talked about rejection and I'd experienced a, a bunch of it and it really got me down. And let me tell you, I've had some more rejection and I just don't care. Something oh, right. really That's shifted. Great. Yes. So do you think it's because you because I know that you kind of promised yourself that you were gonna really you're really gonna get into just applying for things yes. and just doing like yes. doing quite a lot of them so that you could just do it and walk away and forget yes. about it. Yes. So has it worked? Yes, it has. And I'm gonna reference podcaster Tiffany Hahn. She had a project quite a long time ago called Hundred Rejection Rejection yeah, Letters. I yeah. That. Right, yeah. yeah. And the concept being about collecting rejection, you know, almost actively seeking it, not trying to be rejected, but if you're putting yourself out yourself out there enough times, that a rejection becomes less painful. And that really resonated with me in a moment where I opened a kiln and everything, almost everything had exploded through user error. Oh, I had made a I giant mistake. Yeah, right. And commented. I, I shared it because I think it's important to share failure. You're so good at doing that. I think it just is so beautiful that you open your those moments up to everyone else because then because we all feel like oh, it was, we all have moments you know, like that. But I mean I probably hide them mostly, but you're like front and center. I did this thing, it was not smart. Feeling of feeling, <laughs> I love it. It's so nice. Yeah. It's so generous. Oh, do you think? I know. It's, it's just uh, how I comfort myself, I think. I 100% can guarantee <laughs> you that everyone listening to this podcast right now is really grateful every time you do that. Oh, thanks. That's sweet. But it's for my own well-being. I'm not doing it to be nice to other people. It actually really helps me because then people comfort me. But one potter replied and said that they this reminded them of something that uh, their teacher had told them, which was, if you're grieving what's coming out of the kiln, you're not making enough work. Ah, oh, yes. Yes. True. Right? So the mm-hmm. concept that the Put time that quote marks. the time <laughs> between 
the work that you create and the work that's finished coming out of the mm. kiln in this medium can be months. It can be a really long time. Mm. And if you're so attached to what has failed today, it means you're not excited enough about what you're working on that is yet mm -hmm. to go through that process. You know, you should have already mentally moved on and be working on the new, fresh, exciting. Or just being in the moment. Yeah. That's really what yeah. that's about, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's like... You know, you talk about this a lot about, you know, with your painting as a practice, there's something about volume that creates quality. Like the more and more and more you do without pressure, the better you get, yeah? Mm -hmm. It's that thing. And I thought, well, why don't I apply that to applying for stuff? <laughs> apply right. that to applying. Yes. So it's like if I am grieving that rejection, then I'm not applying enough. Mm -hmm. So I feel quite happy now to collect those rejections because my mind has gone way beyond that. I'm already thinking about something that's 12 months down the line. Mm -hmm. I'm not attached to that thing anymore. I've let it go. So that has been quite a powerful shift for that's me. That's so fantastic. I feel like we've both had gigantic wins in, mm. in this space of facing up to things that were quite crippling to us in the past. Go us. Go us, yeah. 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 It's been quite a big shift. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Really fantastic stuff. Just being able to gain a little bit of perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm not so tied to a specific outcome. Yeah. Because I'm already pursuing others. I mean, good. Uh, look, let's, let's say in transparency, if I get an acceptance, I'm going to freak the heck out because, <laughs> 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 because I'm going to have to actually deliver. Yes. When potentially my brain is already let it go, that I mean yeah. that could be like could be a a downside to this mentality. Well, Who knows? Well, but you know, there's always moments inside creating a project that are hard, though. So that'll just be one of those moments inside. You know, if you get it to that part where you get to produce the project for the yeah. opportunity, there's always that moment. It doesn't mean that it has to be bad. So but I guess for you is is your worry there around. Because historically, like, we know that when <laughs> Steph is over something, she's over something. <laughs> over it. Yeah. yeah. Is it that piece that worries you? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, maybe. But I think that, I think that, you know, the reality is, though, that the work exists and the work is there. Mm. So it's not about having to, like, I, I, I'm submitting for things based around what I'm already excited to create and I'm doing anyway. Mm. So it's that piece of, well, if I do get an acceptance, it's okay. The work is there. I'm doing it anyway. Mm. I'm not having to meet uh, an unrealistic deadline. That's the difference, isn't it? And mm. that's the bit that I realised as well, which is, you know, once you've actually realised that your motivation for applying is because you feel compelled to make a body of work, it's kind of, to me, immaterial in a way as to if that happens or not, that yeah. specific opportunity, because I know enough about myself and I'd actually put you in the same box as me, which is that when you decide something's going to happen, <laughs> it will happen. Yeah. Like somehow it will happen because we're just those kinds of people, right? Yeah, if I'm all in, I'm all in, I will make and it work. And so am I. So I really trust that about myself. That's something I've never doubted is my ability to... When I've decided to make something happen, I'll make it happen. So that's powerful. That's another powerful thing to know. And that in itself, like I, I just want to rewind a sec. I want to move on to one, one more thing, but I feel like we need to talk about the process of writing the proposal a little bit because okay. that in itself was actually 
I had not done anything like that Me neither. for a very, very long time. I've never done it. I had to like Google how to do it. Well, I'd never, I did it for, you know, the last exhibition that I had. But knowing that the space that it was in and knowing that, that, that what they were wanting at the art gallery, that, you know, it's a notch up from what the last exhibition I did at the Backspace in terms of you really have to, it has to be about something and it has to tie into a theme that is going to resonate yeah. in order for it to appeal to them to put it in their programming, right? Yes, yes, very um, so much. And so it really led me down a rabbit hole. Like I read so much about uh, artists in this town. I'd actually participated in, an, in a group exhibition a few years ago as well that was inspired by one of the uh, artists in Ballarat that was painting sort of late in the uh, she, which I think she was born in the late 1800s, but she lived through into, I think, 1960s or something. Okay, you were the, uh, the art history nerd and you would have oh, loved that. it yeah? went off. And I was, it went, <laughs> went off. off. I was just like went down such a rabbit hole. I won't bore everyone here with it. But, and, and it led me to just do a lot of research about female uh, botanical and floral artists that are in that collection because there's a lot of fem- botanical and floral art from women because that was all they could paint back in yes. the day. That's all they had permission to. Landscapes yes. and still lives, yeah. That's and it. also in reading those stories made me realise, you know, I'm squandering the opportunity of being a female artist in 2022. Why do you say that? What? What are women crazy? in those whoa. days? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, Back up. That's huge. So this is what I'm saying. So I was reading a lot about, I haven't studied a lot of Australian art. It's been a project of mine over the past couple of years to really learn a lot more about local artists and Australian artists, particularly female artists. Right. And the overwhelming story that I'm finding, because the art history is finally starting to be written, but when you read the art history, most of it is a couple of paragraphs long about most artists saying there's not enough research been done on this artist because they were basically forgotten because they were a woman. Yeah, right. right? And so many stories of art, female artists that uh, married male artists and then spent a lot of their energy building their husband's profile instead of their own, even though they were incredibly accomplished. Well, that's but probably it, still happening. It is. <laughs> but it really lit a fire under me in terms of, well, why are you not using the, the zeitgeist that we're in, which is very focused on elevating women? Why are you not participating in that when women have fought really hard for that to be available? And what is this teaching your children, your daughters, actually? Because you. I have daughters. So I there's almost a responsibility there, isn't there? Like, it yeah. actually yeah. feels like a responsibility mm-hmm. when, when now that I've gone and researched. And it's a lot of the stories are really sad too. The amount of women artists uh, that just disappeared into obscurity because of mental health issues because, you know, particularly ones that happened around menopause, like mental institutions, horrific, tragic stories of women that were incredibly accomplished just having these really sad ends to their life. And I'm like, well, I have the privilege of, you know, being living in a society where women have opportunity and also in a society where we have support for mental health to get us through these times in our life that can be challenging times for women. So it really just, I don't know, I just felt a sense of responsibility to Mm -hmm. not shut myself off from that and to actually go, no, participate in this. This is an exciting time. That's huge. Mm. To be seen, to be visible, to be, to own Mm. it. Because our legacy will last 
purely because the internet exists, yeah? <laughs> well, and It's like we're building the evidence ourselves. We're not yes. relying on the art historians. No, we're not. But this is the actually the other thing that made me realise why exhibiting is important, right? Yes, we will exist beyond because of the internet, but will we exist anywhere else? Because mm. I don't. I don't require or need to be remembered historically in order to feel like my life or my works of value. That is not important to me. But to actively not allow myself the opportunity to have a presence there and to be remembered, uh, I had to ask myself deep questions about why I was doing that and not just opening myself up to the opportunity to be present in both. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. Okay, so when we look back in history, the organisations that lift elevated creative or artistic men were actively built to keep out women and people of colour, yeah? Yeah. Like those are those establishments mm -hmm. that are considered the elite. Mm -hmm. but I think particularly in the United States, it, that, that was a proactive agenda, you know, mm. keep out the women, keep out the people of colour. So... But what that meant was only the people that went into those institutions had written records of their work and their mm -hmm. achievements, yeah? Exactly. So let's not assume that the same thing won't happen again because, goddamn, if history repeats itself, well, the it does all the, the time. The reality <laughs> is that the people that are remembered within the art establishment are people that put themselves forward and actively participated. That's the reality. It may not always be that way. But that is the current reality. And I have an education that, you know, is an incredibly privileged education where I, I can participate in that by pretty much applying my attention to it. And you have it too, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. So it's been a really interesting process. And all of this came out of the question of am I going to apply for this exhibition opportunity <laughs> and the conversations I've had with you. And it's just created such an expansion in my experience in the studio. And writing that exhibition proposal, I also had a really dear friend of mine, Louise Ann King, who is an incredibly accomplished oh, she sculptor really is. Yeah. and an absolutely beautiful human. And uh, she has a doctorate in art history and she's yeah, an incredible woman. And she very generously came in and helped me. She went through my proposal with me and we basically rewrote the whole thing. So I did really learn Blouses. how much has changed since I did my degree in the 90s and the language I was using and the way that I was, you know, the, the you know, there's just so many things that needed to change in there. But it was a really interesting process and I'm so grateful for her that she helped right. me to do that because that even deepened it more. Right. Mm. This brings something up for me. There's a privilege there, isn't there? there like is. you said, we've, we're privileged to have been educated mm -hmm. and we're privileged to have access to incredibly knowledgeable people mm -hmm. to help us. Mm -hmm. So in a similar way, I haven't had somebody look at my proposal, but I was like, oh, I really need to. So I've been seeking the women that can help me. Like I now know a curator who next time has offered to do that for me mm. and another artist who has a you know whose career is blossoming but I think is very good at expressing those parts of their creativity in words because it's a whole other flipping skill it really is and it is a skill that comes with privilege because it's a particular kind of language that gets used in that world it really so it is kind of 
in some ways makes me feel a bit yick, but it's a challenge that I'm willing to take on because I want to have a voice in that world. I do. I want to be present in it. I just want to be present in it and I want to – there's something about it that that makes me feel like there's just such a larger story there that can be explored in my artwork. And, and this will be a conversation, another conversation down the track, I'm sure. But the impact I'm seeing that that's having on my work in the studio over the past couple of months, it feels like everything is deepening and becoming more sophisticated. And it's gone from this, I suppose, having this digital business where, you know, I'm predominantly selling online, they're single paintings. You know, I've tried doing the big collection thing and it was just too stressful for me, so I've reduced it down to sort of smaller little collections. But really what I'm doing is selling single paintings to the public, right? Yeah. Which is nothing wrong with that. It's brilliant. Pays my bills. Like, it's a great thing. Hugely feel very grateful to have that. But I've grown bored of it because there's not, you know, now that I'm, immersed in all of these more uh, this thought of well yes there's me and my work but how how does that sit within like a larger story of female botanical painters like that just totally shifts and expands the way that I'm looking at everything and the way that I'm creating yes okay yeah I I just want to key into that because I think that's super relevant it's when you feel like you're gaining some sort of mastery of something as a creative person, that's often the impetus to try something new, yeah. to grow and expand. Mm. And I think that that boredom, it sounds very like, I mean, you're not bored of creating, but you've nailed that, yeah? You're like, you feel like you've done the best that you can and you've taken that to a really high level what's next. Exactly. It, it's not a lack of gratitude for what you've got. It's it's propelling you to explore the new. And that happens both intellectually and creatively within your work, hey? Like the two feed each other. Yeah. I love that. I love it too. And the thing that I think I love most about it is that I'm coming back to this space which has more of an intellectual element with a far more integrated spiritual and emotional with those. It's more integrated in me. So I feel... And I feel free to be able to move between those those different terrains in a way that I don't think I would have felt free to before had I not explored from that where that that time where I've shut myself off from sort of the institutional art world and just yes. painted from a very feeling it has been incredibly valuable because I feel like I found my voice there and I found my authenticity there. But bringing it together with an intellectual piece is just, it's like it just makes it even more rich and beautiful and interesting and and I love it I feel stimulated in a way that I haven't felt stimulated in a long time yes. and I love dancing between those those worlds it's really it feels very I feel very contented at the moment in my art practice as a result what a wonderful thing mm. because you're quite far into this journey. I mean, what are you, like, at least seven years into? I think it must be. And it's, oh, well, I've, you know, I started painting again when my girls were really small, like yes. pretty much just after Asha was born, I think, and she's turning 10. Right. So, so what that means I mean, that was is... the very beginning, but the actual real, yeah, it probably is seven years of sort of serious work, you know. 
Mm. And it's, I mean, you can't necessarily manufacture those moments, but greeting those moments with open arms where that next spark that keeps you going can enter your life, I think is really important. Absolutely. We'll talk a bit about the way that you've done that because you've kind of come full circle in your in your experience with this because you've come back to ceramics after doing a degree in ceramics and, you know, that was a very core part of your training and you come back around and it's kind of like this spiral, isn't it? Like yeah. you segued through like quite a few different creative enterprises and you come back around to it and it's like now up here and you're making really gobsmackingly gorgeous work but like I can't I don't know that it would have happened had you not done all of those other things as well yeah maybe yeah I mean it's my turn to monologue now because I could talk about this for a million years (laughs) but I uh I, I want to, I'll dig into that, but I want to talk about an experience I had recently where I was in a cafe cafe, and I was sitting next to some very privileged people talking very loudly about their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And my husband and I were sort of eavesdropping because it was fascinating. Like they were quite obnoxious in the way that they were speaking about their privilege. And it reminded me that, you know, in the world of Instagram, it's a highlight reel, yeah. Mm. But it also is not a very transparent space. And that same morning, I had seen a story of a friend of mine that I know in person who lives this very down-to-earth, very earthy existence. It looks like a very, very simple life. But I know that there's quite a lot of privilege behind it, okay? So in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, I have privilege too. I'm not open and transparent about that. So I'm going to be a bit more transparent and I'm going to open myself up a little bit to all of that, like tell more of my story, yeah? So I did a really interesting, I did an Instagram post where I, I invited people to ask me questions. I have never done that before because I genuinely believe that nobody would ask me anything and it would be super embarrassing. Oh. Yeah? Mm. Can anyone relate to that? I bet you can. Like, Oh, totally. You know, what would anyone want to ask me? It doesn't matter how many followers you have. I I carry the same fears as well. Yeah. But it was fascinating to me because I prompted that conversation by saying, I have privilege within my art career. I I can work in my art full time because I have a husband who has a very, like, manual job that earns pretty good money. And I know that there's very little risk in me pursuing this. Like, I'm not going to, I'm still going to have a roof over my head, a comfortable one. You know, all of these things that I could take for granted are not the same for everybody else. So I spoke about how I come from a place of poverty. Like, I was raised in poverty. I'm from a big family that grew up in government housing where it was in our lives a real genuine worry that we would not be able to buy food or buy school shoes or all of these things. And I lived in a country where it's not amazing, but there's government support for that, yeah? You know, it's a first world Mm. country. But life was incredibly stressful when you're worrying about all those things. Mm. And right now, I don't have to worry about those things. I can focus on being a fully realized human, pursuing my passions, because I'm not worried about whether I can feed my child tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My brain is not taken up by that. Mm-hmm. So, all of this to say that part of that circle, that spiral that you're talking about, I can come back to ceramics because now I have privilege. Yes. Yeah. So, when I was that young person who was 22 years old, 
didn't really didn't have a job, didn't have a secure place to live, was worried about how I was going to pay my rent, was worried about like, oh, I can't afford to do this and that and the other because I won't be able to buy food. Though, like, having a ceramic studio <laughs> with a kiln and like all the equipment that, that comes with that, like clay is not flipping cheap. Mm. I couldn't do that. And it wasn't until I actually got married, well, met my partner in my 30s mm. that I had that security to be able to pursue it again. Mm. So it was a creative spiral, but I don't know if I was in a position of privilege if I would have had to spiral. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. But now I can buy a kiln. I had some financial difficulties earlier in the year, but I knew that they would pass. Like it's it's not a big deal. It's like well, you've, you've done really smart things to put you in a place where you're supported in your art practice too. Like you're yeah. doing workshops and, and you've created a structure with those that can give you an income so that you can have this spaciousness in your art practice. And that's the key, right? That's the key. Having the spaciousness is something that comes with the privilege. But Let's also not forget that you've been, you need to acknowledge it's not just as a result of the privilege that you have via your, your husband. It's actually also because you built it for yourself. Yeah. Let's not totally discount that. Yes, the, the journey to building that for yourself may have uh, been very much helped by having that safety net. And I'm in the same position too. My husband is the primary breadwinner and everything I make is icing, right? Mm -hmm. So, but we're still building things and working hard to do that and still mindful of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah. hear what you're saying. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'm at a place, you know, where I've gone through a mental health journey, you know, since my child was born seven years ago, where I am in a place where I'm capable of building this for myself and accepting and loving myself and giving myself permission to do this. Yes, because that's the key that's, giving yourself yeah. permission, right? That's the key piece. And feeling well enough to take on the opportunity. That's yeah. the other piece. And I just, I feel like, you know, uh, since we're coming out of this pandemic where everybody has had that, uh, that, that fear that people who live in poverty have every day of mm -hmm. this life may crumble at any moment. That feeling, I think, like people are coming out of that and speaking to zeitgeist, there is a certain release and freedom in the way people are, you know, pursuing their interests. Mm -hmm. That has been a trigger for me to make changes in my mm -hmm. business and the way that I support myself and the way that I'm making money that has come together quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. So awesome. Well, we could talk about this forever, and I suspect we already have. I don't <laughs> even know what time we started, but I think we probably that's a good place to wrap up the conversation today. It totally went in a different direction to what I thought it was yeah. going, but, like, great conversation. Thanks yeah. so much, Steph. Always oh, a joy. You're so welcome, Suze. All right, everyone. We'll catch you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. What a great conversation. I so love the discoveries I make in my chats with Steph, and I really hope that it helps you to discover more about your creative process too. Before I go, just a little reminder that this fortnight you can get 20% off Chapter 2 of Painting as a Practice with the code PP2, and also 20% off the whole Painting as a Practice Trilogy bundle with the code TRILOGY at the checkout. As always, all the links are in the show notes, 
or you can pop on over to susannethercottestudio.com forward slash online dash classes. Catch you later. You can always see more of my art over at susannethercott.com. And if you're interested in learning from me or checking out the podcast notes, you can find those over on susannethercottestudio.com. I love hearing your comments and feedback. So feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, then why not snap a screenshot and share it in your Instagram stories? Be sure to tag me at susan.nethercutt so I can say hi. And if you've got a great idea for a future podcast episode or know someone who you think I should interview, then pop on over to susannethercuttstudio.com forward slash podcast, hit the button in the header image to shoot me an email. Catch you next time.